Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Tom Izzo and Mike Krzyzewski were there and they said something they chastised us high school coaches they said you know what they said you are sending us players that don't know the fundamentals we're having to teach them stuff that you should have taught them so quit sending us players that don't know the fundamentals and I got to thinking my gosh if we keep sending Jesus people from segregated churches to heaven I wonder if he's saying you know what it's not segregated up here you guys didn't teach them the fundamentals why do you keep sending us people that we have to, you know, they got saved in your church, but we have to grow them up in salvation up here. And uh, that spirit was on that conference. Anyhow, I'm still on a high. But it's good to be home. It's good to be around friends. 
uh, hanging around with big crowds like that's a little intimidating. It's good to be with you guys. So we're in a teaching series entitled Life Between Two Gardens. And we're, we're looking at this from the standpoint of we're heading to Easter, and we know, we talked about last week, that life begins in a garden. That's what the Bible talks to us about, about the Garden of Eden, right? And then at the resurrection, when everything that was wrong with life got fixed, right, and opened up the doors to eternal life, it happened in a garden. And you say, well, where is that, Chip? Well, when Mary Magdalene went looking at the tomb and looking for Jesus and she couldn't find him, remember? And then she sees him, but she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. So life began a garden. The resurrection happened in a garden. And at the end of all time in Revelation 21, there's not a garden. There's a city, an amazing city. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, that went on the mic too. Um, if I hurt you online, I'm sorry. Um, but you're online, you're safe. Anyhow, front row, not so safe. Anyhow, um, at the end, in Revelation 21, this new city comes, this bustling city. I love how we're raised together. We're not like on little clouds with harps and halos. We're part of a massive movement, city. We're together. There's, there's traffic. There's open gates. There's bright lights. There's people coming. But Revelation 22, it says in that big city that God raised, there's green space. There's the tree of life is back. And there's a river. And it's bearing fruit on all sides of the river. So we begin in a garden. We're resurrected in a garden. And even at the end, there's, there's the redemption of the Garden of Eden. So we're looking at this theme of garden as we're moving to Garden of Gethsemane and then to the Garden of the Resurrection. So last week we started with Genesis chapter 1. Yes, I'm going to take you through every book of the Bible. No, I'm okay. Um, Genesis chapter 1, we looked at creation. And we said last week there are kind of two creation stories in our Bible. One, God speaks into creation. God is over all of the world. And here in chapter 2 and 3, I'm going to read for you a little selected passages. God reaches into creation. And it's very interesting. In chapter 1, it tells us everything that's right with the world. God saw everything that God made, and it was very good, right? But now, chapter 2 and chapter 3 begin to tell us about what's wrong with the world. How many of you know that there's something wrong with the world? Right? All you got to do is flip on the news. I don't care what channel you look at or which propaganda side you listen to. Right? Um, they're all, you know, all got their little hunkers in. There's something amiss. Human beings have a habit of doing terrible things. So here's God's explanation about it. It says that in the beginning, there was a fracture. There was a brokenness that took place. So let's just read it together. It basically says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, take care of it. We talked about that last week, right? That in the ancient Near East, all the kings had gardens. They were kind of fabricated. They would import the flora and the fauna and the animals. The slaves would pump water behind the curtain so it looked like there were waterfalls. And the greatest thing you could be asked to do would a king of Babylon or Egypt would say, come walk with me in the garden. That was the highest honor. And we looked last week that we have the king of the universe that didn't fabricate a garden, that doesn't have slaves behind the curtain, but created water itself and life itself and all creation and made us and invite us to do what? To walk with the king. 
in the garden. What a beautiful picture. I hope you remember that from last week. And it says that, that he put the man in the garden to work it and to take care. Take care of it. And the Lord God commanded him, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. I remember I was teaching on this in a a seventh grade confirmation class way back in my very first church, and I said, you know, in the garden there's only one commandment, one commandment. And one of my young men goes, oh, that's paradise, one commandment. Like, (laughs) one thing. What's the one thing? Give me the one thing. Right? There's only one thing. You can do everything. Just don't do this one thing. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent, a representative of Satan, this is the voice of evil. Whether this has literally happened, I, I, you know, I, I don't like it here. You people believe in talking snakes, so shut up. Um, you know, it's a, this isn't like, like somebody was there, action news, given a play-by-play. I've been saying all along, if you don't say, take this literally as a true story, it is a truth story. It is the ultimate explanation of things, that this voice of evil came and said to the woman, did God really say? I want everybody to say this word, really. really. Thank you. I'm going to come back to that. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, don't eat from this one tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die, right? All right, shift two. You will, and here's the voice of evil. You'll certainly not die, right? For God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Everybody say liar. liar. That's the lie, right? Knowing good and evil, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, right? We're going to go back to that one. For food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable. See, we always think this is a terrible thing. I'm going to get to that. But no, it's good. It's pleasing. It's desirable. For gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband. Everybody says, who was with her? All you sexists in the room say that. Who was with her? We always, yeah, I love this. Oh, Eve, Eve did it, Eve. Men are so defunct. He was with her. The two of them together, okay? And he ate it. Okay. Keep going. Is that? Yeah, we're going to keep going. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I got to tell you, the Holy Spirit is just messing with me just reading these words. Right? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. So then they were broken. Then God walked in the garden. The sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, God called to the man, where are you? See, this is dealing with what's wrong with the world. There's something terribly wrong with the world. There's, there's, there's a brokenness. There's a flaw. There's a defect. Um, I remember G.K. Chesterton. He's one of my favorite theologians. He was in Great Britain. And um, the London Times, he was such a popular writer and, and preacher. He, he used humor back when preachers didn't use humor. How boring that must have been. Um, but, but the London Times said, Dr. Chesterton, they wrote a letter, the woman who was the editor, wrote a letter and said, would you write us an article 
that will, what, that will describe what's wrong with the world. And the, the editor was surprised that two days later she got a letter back from G.K. Chesterton. And he said, ma'am, you asked me to write an article of what's wrong with the world. I can sum it up in two words. I am. I am. See, modern scholarship dismissed that. This passage, everything I read to you, was what's called in the early church the doctrine of original sin. Like, what, what, how did sin enter the world? How did the brokenness happen? But the modern scholarship, right, the intellectual community, began to dismiss that and started to explain that humans are basically good, right? We're all good, because God forbid we're not all good. And, um, but sociologists said, no, it's conditions. Your social conditions cause you to be evil. Psychologists said, no, it's the absence of love. That causes you to be evil. But the problem was they found out that whatever definition they found for evil, it always crossed the boundaries. What do I mean by that? Um, there's, there's a guy named uh, C.E.M. Goad, Jode, I'm sorry. He was an uh, uh, atheist, very popular in the early 20th century, philosopher. And he uh, didn't believe in God, but at the end of his life, the last quarter of his life, he came back to faith. And he wrote a book that called, was called The Recovery of Belief. And in it, he said that the problem with us intellectuals is we threw out the doctrine of original sin. And it, it, we were disillusioned because every time we tried to define what sin is and what's broken, like, like sin is fascism. Fascism is evil. That's what's causing evil. Totalitarianism. They gave us Nazi Germany. But then somebody would point out, but democracy in Europe and the United States gave us the African slave trade. See, it would migrate across whatever definition you thought it was. Well, no, it's all, you know, Europeans, they're the problem. And, and then, so we've got ethnic cleansing in the Balkans. Yeah, but Africa had Rwanda. Like, it would never, evil wouldn't fit into a box. And so, so what Joe said is I had to come back to that saying and what he wrote in that book. He said um, that, that what we found out, what we refused to believe, is that something wrong was hardwired in us. We thought it was just a lack of education, but we found out it was the depth of sin in every human heart. I, I watched an interview on 60 Minutes when I was younger. Some of you millennials don't know 60 Minutes has been around a long time. I actually watched it in 1983. Don't you dare tell me you weren't born. Um, and I did. I watched it in 1983. They interviewed a guy. Um, his name was Yehiel uh, Denor. Yehiel Denor was a Holocaust survivor. He had survived the death camps. And Mike Wallace interviewed him in 1983. And what they were referring to was a case in 1961. I wasn't born then, for those of you keeping score at home. Um, of a guy named Adolf... Uh, Eichmann. Anybody remember? They think it's the first televised trial in the history of the world. Adolf Eichmann was a lieutenant colonel in the SS. He was a Nazi who was one of the masterminds of the death camps. And they had captured him and they brought him to trial on television. He was later taken to Israel and was executed under capital crime. And at that trial, Yahil Dorman, who, or, I'm sorry, Denor, who was a survivor in a death camp with Adolf Eichmann, he was called to the witness stand, and when he walked in and he saw Eichmann there, he literally convulsed, he began to sob, and he fainted. And Mike Wallace played that tape for him and asked him, he said, okay, this was 20 years ago, what happened when you walked in that courtroom? Why did you get so overcome? Was it hatred? 
I mean, were you overcome with hate and that's what made you just pass out? Or was it fear? Did you look and did it conjure up all those moments of, of being in the death camps and knowing that this terrible person was responsible for the brutality? And I'll never forget that interview. It's just stuck with me through the years that Yehiel Denor said no. He said, what happened to me was when I walked into that courtroom and I looked at Adolf Eichmann and realized he's not a demon. He's not a superhuman. He's somebody just like me. And he said, I was overcome because at that moment I realized if he's capable of that, then I'm capable of that. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, there's an Eichmann in all of us. See, that's what, that's what the Bible's teaching us. That there's a brokenness in us. There's something that broke us from God and something that broke us from one another. And here's the same things in this story that were the downfall of, of these two are the downfall of you and I. It repeats itself. And so I'm going to name it, okay? I'm going to name the sneer, the lie, and the tree. See, our band sang three songs that I noticed on the worship planning. They all had one-word titles for all those songs. So I thought I would mimic them and do one-word points. Nothing is funny to y'all today. Like, y'all, can I have a bottle of Purell, Bill? I mean, I need something. I need a sign. Okay, here's what I want to look at. I want to look at first the sneer. Here's the sneer. And I, I emphasize that when the voice of evil came, say, did you really say? Did God really say you shouldn't do this? That word really is very interesting in the Hebrew. It's a word, this very concrete word, that means doubtless or certainly. It was ab- absolute certainty. Like, and we know that the voice is trying to create doubt. So this is kind of the first use, use of sarcasm in the Bible. And obviously it comes from hell itself. And, and it says, do you really? This is like when you go to somebody and say, how are you doing today? And they go, just great. Like, you know what that means, right? Right? And that's what, that's what the voice is going, do you really? Did God really say this? Is, there, are you, is this doubtless? Are you sure? How many of you know that, that the loss of God usually believes uh, happens, not because of some profound argument, but because of a sneer? A sneer is, is kind of a, um, I, I looked it up, it's a contemptuous or mocking smile. It's dressed up in a smile. The sneer of the enemy tries to keep you from the smile of God. It makes fun of it. See, you know, I, I say this. You know, some of us, I, I went to intellectual communities, and I, I, I try, I consider myself an intellectual. I read all this stuff. But you know what? There has never, ever, ever been in the history of intellectual thought any good historical scientific argument made against the resurrection. There's never been one. Don't believe that. But you know how it happens? Listen, I went to two Ivy League institutions. You go there and you tell them, hey, I believe, I'm a Christian. I believe in the resurrection. And they go, oh, you do? Like, do you have a third grade education? Like, you, you have a third grade education? You believe in the resurrection? Right? See, it's a sneer. It's not an argument. Satan doesn't show up with an argument. He doesn't even challenge the existence of God. Like you think atheists are the problem. They're not the problem. Satan didn't show up and try to make Adam and Eve atheists. Everybody believes in God. He didn't question that. You know, he just comes in and sneers. Oh, really? Like it's so dressed up in sophistication. And some of us fell for it. Right? 
you know, and, 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 and don't fall for the sneer. The sneer, it dismisses our purpose. It disrespects us publicly. How many of you know this? Our children have been robbed of some of their best stuff because of schoolyard sneers. That's why bullying is such a terrible thing. And I don't care if it's done by somebody third grade or somebody, you know, at the top of the food chain. It, it's sneering. It's, it's undressing people. And, and, it, and, it, and it robs you. It affects your heart. See, Satan wasn't challenging the existence of God. What he was doing was creating an atmosphere. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, you believe that. Oh, you still have a sense of wonder. Right? Don't let sneers ruin that for you. My, I studied under James Loder. He was an amazing man at Princeton. He had a uh, PhD in psychology and a PhD in theology. And he brought those two sciences together. And he talked about a woman he was working with in Trenton, New Jersey at the time. Her name was Kathy. She was a prostitute. She was a drug addict. But Kathy had really, you know, she, she had been a very uh, good student. And, and they were trying to trace what, what broke her down, what, what made her self-image fall apart. And after he did months and months of therapy with her, she finally opened up to him. It's something in her subconscious that she didn't realize had such an effect on her. And it was when she was like in the fourth or fifth grade, I mean, maybe fifth grade, and uh, she was passing notes in class, and a teacher caught her, right? You remember you write notes? Well, now you text. God, I keep forgetting, Lord. Man, I wish I lived in that day and age. I wouldn't have got caught. Anyhow, um, but you know, we used to pass notes when we had pencils and pens and paper, and okay, I'm old. Anyhow. Kathy got caught passing notes, and the teacher grabbed it, and she said, oh, well, Kathy's disrespecting me. She's writing notes, not listening to what I'm sharing. How about we start writing a note about Kathy? Kathy, come up here, and she made her stand by the board. And she said, let's write notes about Kathy. And one kid got up and wrote, Kathy is ugly. And somebody else wrote up and said, Kathy is fat. And somebody said, Kathy will never be asked to the prom. And on and on and on. Some teachers should lose their license. Some preachers too, by the way. Um, and, and this went on and on. And, and all of a sudden, the sneer robbed her of her dignity. And thank God she went to Dr. Loder. Because Dr. Loder said to her, said, I got to tell you, Kathy, there was somebody else in that room that day. And he didn't have a marker in his hands. He did have holes in his hands. Because he was a victim of that too. But he had an eraser. And what you didn't see is he went to the board and he erased that sneer and affirmed you with the love of Christ. I, I, I was interested to find out that Kathy then, after he had worked with her, she became a PhD in clinical psychology and was healing others. See, we've been victim to sneers. And, 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 and it, it breaks us from God because we've been told you're not sophisticated, you're not an intellectual. It's a lie. It's, it's, not, even, it's, not, even, it's not even backed up. Right? And, 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 and Jesus would say that later. Don't fall prey to the sneers. And the second thing, after, after, after this you know, voice of evil gets our hearts, he tries to get our mind. And he comes up with what we call the lie. The great lie, right? He's, he's focused on the sneer of our hearts. Now he says this. Wait a minute. Really? God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be open. And watch this. You will be like God. That's the lie. And we all fall for it. If you've been around here, I've been here 16 years, and I have taught in this church, and I will teach it until the day I die, that there is a sin beneath the sin beneath the sin beneath all the sins. And you know what it is? We want to be our own Savior and Lord. 
We want to be like God. And see, the enemy exploited that. And you know what he said? Like I said, he didn't challenge the existence of God. He didn't say, oh, God, God's not real. He didn't even challenge the power of God. He didn't say, God's not powerful. But he said, if I can break this, I can break them. And what was he trying to break? Our trust in God. God is not trustworthy. God doesn't have your best interests at heart. God's trying to keep you down. God's trying to make you a little mechanism in the matrix. He is not allowing you to realize your full potential. And if you just don't listen to him and you cross over, your eyes will be opened. You'll have all new horizons. You'll be all that you were called to be. See, and it was breaking our trust with God. See, because when God told them, don't eat of the tree, he never told them why. Do you ever realize that? I was reading the scripture over and over down in Orlando. I was getting ready to preach, looking at it. So he didn't tell them why. Just, he's, in fact, he said, you can do anything. Can you imagine that? My, my seventh grader was right. This is paradise. He said, you are free. That's what it said. You're free to do anything. Eat of everything. Somebody say hallelujah to that one. Yeah, man, come on. But just this one thing, I don't want you to do. And doesn't tell him why. He doesn't tell him why. See, he doesn't say, don't eat of that fruit because it's fattening. Don't eat of that fruit. There's too many carbs. Like, we would have obeyed that, right? He doesn't even say, don't eat of that fruit because all the atrocities of human history are going to happen if you don't. Because he, he doesn't tell them the reason so that they could, they could comply because it was good for them. He says, just don't do it because I told you not to do it. Just don't do it because you want to trust me. Just don't do it because you want to obey me. Just don't do it because you love me. And you know that I love you. And Satan said, if I can break that, if I can break their trust in their relationship with God, then I've got them. Then they will want to be their own creator. Then they will take their lives in their own hands. And if they take their lives in their own hands, then I got them. And that's what happened. And that's what happens today. Do you know why you're so exhausted? Do you know why you're so unhappy this morning, those of you who are? No, do you know why? Because you don't trust God. You don't. You don't think he has your best interest at heart. You think you, you keep faxing and emailing God and telling him, this is how I know my life has to work out, and will you hurry up and start getting to it? Because I know what I need better, and you know. It, that's everything that happens. And we are exhausting ourselves, and we're working so hard on our careers, and we're working so hard to find our self-worth, because we don't trust God when God says, I say that you're worthy. I gave you significance. I give you security. We don't trust that. And see, the same thing is repeating over and over and over again. And we're trying to earn our own salvation. And you know who does this the worst? Religious people. We do. We're the worst. That's why Jesus was harder on the Pharisees than he was on the prostitutes. Because you know what religious people are? Overly religious. I obey the Ten Commandments. I do all these things. I read my Bible every day. I pray all the time. I'm not like the tax collector over there. I'm not like the Democrats over there. I'm not like the Republicans over there. I'm a good person. I do this. I follow so just. I do all. You know why we're doing that? Because we don't trust God. We don't. So you know what we're doing? We're trying to create a moral perfect life that God will owe me. The doors of heaven will have to open for me. Because I'm Chip Freed, the speaker at Exponential, right? The pastor of Garfield Memorial. 
that the doors will open. And all it is is trying to be God. Because I just don't trust him enough to believe that he knows the plans he has for me. That what he created does not have defect. That I was made in the imago Dei, in the image of God. That God doesn't make mistakes. That God doesn't create situations that are irredeemable. But he made me. And if he, and he says to Jesus at baptism, you are my beloved child. With you I'm well pleased. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke agree that Satan shows up and says, oh, really? You are God's son? that I'll have the courage to say I trust God enough to say yes. And I will not believe the lie. And I will not try to be my own Savior and Lord because it will exhaust me. And I will start demonizing other people because that's what happens when you try to build your self-worth by yourself. You start demonizing others to feel better about yourself. Because if I'm not like them, basically what it is is that I'll create a situation at your expense. Right? I will use you to feel better about myself because if you're the problem, then I'm not. Wow. See, and that's, this, is, this, is, this is what happens. We put ourselves at the center and everything orbits around us when everything was supposed to orbit around God. And, 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 and we're, we're creating this, this, this situation of brokenness. Martin Luther said it best when he talked about the book of Romans and he said that we have a problem. He called it incurvitis. That's Latin. It means curved inward. And here's what Luther wrote. He said, Our nature is so deeply curved in on itself that it wickedly, curvedly, viciously seeks to use all things, even God, for our own sake. That's the lie. Don't be children of the lie. Don't fall prey to the sneer. Dismiss that and believe in God. Last thing is the tree. See, when they saw that the fruit of the tree was good, what I say, desirable, all those wonderful words. See, do you ever wonder that? We, we always think sin is bad things. This was a very good thing. It was good. How many of you know it's the good things in life that oftentimes lead us to the most disappointment more than the bad things? Because you know what we do with the good things? We elevate them. <clears throat> we make them our ultimate goal, right? Somebody told me idolatry is not making bad things idols. That's not the deepest form of idolatry. It's taking good things, career, family, children, and making them ultimate things and putting them in the place where only God should be. They were desiring of something good. This was good. It was desirable. It was, it was good fruit. But the problem was they made it their God. They put it where only God should be. So what's the solution? i got to wrap this up. I didn't know I was going to get this fired up. Bill Lacey, it's your fault. <laughs> he got me fired up. What, what's the solution to this? You find it in Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9. All these things happened, right? <clears throat> and then it says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord, right? Now they're separated from God. They're separated from one another. They're separated from themselves. They're naked and ashamed, where it said before they were naked and unashamed, right? They hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden, but, I love the buts. How many of you know, Paul says it this way, you were dead in your sins and trespasses, in that you were broken. You were, Martin Luther was right, you're in curvetous, but God, <laughs> who is rich in mercy, in that he has loved us, right? They hid from God, but the Lord God called to them, 
Where are you? I love this question. Like God didn't know where they were. There are two people on the planet. Like he doesn't know. Why the question? It's a spiritual question. What's happened to you? Where are you? Do you know that's the solution for us? When we try to be God, when we buy into, we let the sneer devalue us, and we buy into the liar, we make the trees our God, God says, Chip, where are you? What's going on? He steps into the garden. He steps into my situation. He walks into my life. He refuses to give up on me without a fight. How many of you know when you take a new job, you don't know how it's going to work out? Right, go on a new vacation somewhere you've never been. You don't know how it's going to work out. I've talked to people said, if I knew what this job was going to be when I interviewed for it, I'd never take it. How many of you know God never begins a journey not knowing where it's going? He says, I know the plans I have for you. God, God knows what the end. He says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm not surprised. So I want you to be startled by this, that God knew when we were broken, while we were yet sinners, the Bible said Christ died for us. When we were broken, when we tried to make ourselves our God, when we tried to be our own Savior, God stepped into the garden. God knew where it was leading him. He knew what it would cost him. He knew that it would cost him what? It would cost him Jesus. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. While we were broken, he was willing to come into the garden. While we were lost, he was willing to say, where are you? He knew where this was going and came anyways. He told Adam and Eve, obey me about the tree and I'll give you life. And they didn't. And Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, obey me about the tree. The cross. And I'm not going to give you life. I'm going to crush you into powder. And he did. He said, Adam and Eve, obey me about the tree. I'll give you everything. They didn't. Jesus, obey me about the tree. I'll destroy you. He did. Now, all you scientific types, I'm going to close with this. Do you understand this is how he saves us? I mean, if we became broken, if the definition of sin is we put ourselves in God's place, wouldn't the definition of salvation mean that God put himself in our place and took what we deserve for the brokenness and the, and the abandonment that we created? Right? In fact, it said when they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, there was a sword, right? Remember the sword? Somebody has to go into the sword to fix this. And Jesus, that broken, humiliated by his wounds, he went under the sword and said, greater love has no one than this, that I would give my life. I'd give it all. Right? I, I don't know why Bruce Willis just jumped in my mind. No, it wasn't Die Hard. I rebuke all you people. That still think it's a Christmas movie. It's not. Anyhow, Tears of the Sun jumped in my mind. This is really weird. Anybody see that movie, Tears of the Sun? Okay, four of you, good. Um, you're on my Netflix thing. What happens is, if you know Tears of the Sun, uh, it's during like Rwanda, during this horrible thing that's happening in Africa, and Bruce Willis and his SEAL team are like dropped in to rescue like a white missionary, right? But this white missionary like, doesn't want to be rescued because she wants to be with her African friends. And so Bruce Willis disobeys all the orders from Command Central to try to get all of the people out 
if you see the movie, or you're going to go home and watch Tears in the Sun today. Bruce Willis better send me a rolling check. Anyhow, but so he does this, he's going through this, and, and he's obedient, but, but the, the woman doesn't tell him that one of the people that they have with them is like the son of the, of the, of the, of the, of the uh, prime minister of the country that the rebels are trying to kill. And so they're chasing them all over the place. And Bruce Willis, he's lost men and he's staying there bleeding. And I know there's this crazy scene. He's just bleeding and some of his friends has died. And he looked at the woman and he said, why didn't you tell me this? She said, I didn't know if I could trust you. And he's bleeding and his friends have died. And he says this great line, he says, I wonder what someone needs to do to earn your trust. When I saw that movie, I heard Jesus coming from the cross, holes in his hand, thorns on his head, blood from a spear in his side, saying, Chip, I just wonder what I need to do to earn your trust, to rebuke the lie, to, to cleanse you from the sneer, to get you from quit looking at the shiny objects on the tree and come to me and I would heal you. Because this, this is the antidote for the poison in your heart. I went to the tree. You fell from grace at a tree. But I went to the tree and I restored you with love and I restored you with grace and all the things that have disappointed you that never fulfilled what you were looking for. I've gotten rid of because I went to the tree. You know, so many of us right here are working so hard. Here's what God told me this morning. Sorry, Justin. I'm going to wrap this up. God really was dealing with it this morning. And I've been as guilty of it as anybody. You know, I had to name drop Ivy League institutions, right? Because we're always trying to do that. We're always trying to make a name for ourselves. I'm down exponential. I'm like, oh, well, you know, this guy's speaking. I could do this. And and I remember Albert Tate was talking to us. said, all we're doing to do is make a platform. And we should just be willing to be servants. I got called out. You know what God basically was showing me? All the things that we're so exhausted working for, career, education. You know what he said to me? They're all fig leaves. It's just fig leaves. I know the real you. And I came to heal you. So quit trying to cover up with fig leaves. Just come to me. And I will, I will, I will erase the curse. I will give you new life. Quit trying to be me because you're not qualified to be me. Let me be your Savior, Chip. Let me be your Lord. Put me back in, on, on the throne of your life. And you won't have to worry about the sneers. Because what the crowd says will be diminished from what I say about you. Amen? Amen. I could keep on preaching, but I'm going to stop.